Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I don't ever want people to be like, oh, wow, you're a woman in science and tech. Like, it should just be who happens to be a woman and does this great job doing whatever it is that she does. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I call it actionable empowerment. Every single episode, you'll hear the story of a fantastic woman in tech, from engineers to founders to investors to journalists to designers, all sorts of different females in tech who have thrived. I want to share their stories with you so that you can know what resources, mentors, and life situations they accessed in order to get to where they are today. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, coming at you live from South by Southwest podcast stage. Yes, just as Wycliffe John was finishing, now we have leading women in tech on the stage here. So excited to be celebrating dynamic women and all the benefits that the cannabis industry is doing both for physical health, mental health, all the things. Can't wait to get into it because it's been actually a huge part of my life this past year and something that was quite a frustrating journey. So to kick things off to hide that I have a really hard time pronouncing Swetha, 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 Swetha yes. and Tahira. See, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you guys go ahead. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. So my name is Tahira Ramatula. Uh, I've been in the cannabis space for a little over five years in a lot of different capacities. Starting off uh, initially as an investor, then moving into an operating role. I built a brand called Marley Natural, which was one of the early brands in the cannabis space. Early meaning like a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, and then I moved in more into the investing side. So I've been uh, with a fund called Hyper Ventures, where we initially focused our first fund only on ancillary businesses. So businesses that are more in the technology services space, which is where I really started to get my feet, you know, really dive into technology. Um, And now we're getting ready to launch our next fund, which is going to focus all across cannabis. And then outside of that, I do a lot of consulting work uh, with a focus on female and minority entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Sweet. Hello, everyone. My name is Shweta Call. I'm the Chief Scientific Officer of Canalysis Labs. It's a cannabis testing lab. We're a state-licensed and ISO-accredited lab based in Orange County in California. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are kind of curious about lab and technology, but we're very tech-forward. We built our LIM system, which is a lab information management system. We built our customer portal. We have a lot of robotics and automation. So we really are as much, if not more, of a tech company as we are a scientific lab testing company. And so we really do believe in the sort of marriage of science and technology, and I'm sure we're going to get into more of that. Um, I'm also part of the California Cannabis Industry Association and um, part of several committees and, you know, some of these things that we have talked about like um, diversity and inclusion and uh, talking about some of the more inclusive nature of or hoping to get more inclusive in cannabis, I think is very close to my heart as well. 
And as you know, I am your host, at Esprit Devora on Twitter. And the cannabis topic is really important to me because I deal with both social anxiety. I know it's hard to believe because I'm up on stage and it's like, but this is my Sasha Fierce. I don't know where she comes from, but she's here. Uh, But I deal with social anxiety. I have anxiety often. And in order to kind of find an alternative to prescription drugs, I knew if there was um, if there was legitimate just a way that my brain was wired where I just needed to take drugs, that's okay. Some people that's just it. I wanted to experiment with a natural way to deal with my anxiety and that uh, that kind of angst first. And so I turned to um, CBD oil. I'm a person that has never really used um, like uh, cannabis recreationally. So I, my first thing was like, I do not want something that gets me high. <laughs> And so I found out uh, by asking actually my Facebook friends and I found out the CBD oil just doesn't get you high or at least that's what I've been told. And so I think that, and and I've been taking it now I think for about a year, it's called a tincture. I barely know what it is. (laughs) I just know that it it works. And so I I think that um, it's really important to educate everyone about the positives in the cannabis space. And that's why I was exciting, excited to have you guys on, that it's not just this recreational world. It's this world that creates highly positive impact for people like me. Yeah. yeah. So Absolutely. let's start at the beginning. Um, and, and you guys can flow whatever feels natural. Uh, what first made you passionate? Um, let's start with technology. What, what first made you passionate about technology? Um, I'll go first. I grew up in Nigeria. So, you know, being in Africa, I think I had a healthy respect for technology and the power of technology because sometimes that's the only way we could learn and you sometimes don't have electricity or the internet access. And so that respect was there. Um, It wasn't until I actually came to the U.S. to uh, study in college and it was a very opening kind of experience to realize that in college I could take other courses other than just my discipline. I was like, what? I don't have to just do science? This is so cool. And um, I ended up taking a lot of logic classes and as well as C++ and some programming. And I honestly do think that that knowledge of algorithms and understanding how to problem solve is sort of the basis for everything. I would recommend anyone in any industry should take a basic logic class because that approach to break down a problem is so key. And so that's where it sort of started. And then, you know, it's always been sort of in the background of mine, even as I went through the pharmaceutical industry, I did a lot of R&D. But coming to Canalysis and, you know, meeting um, the co-founders and seeing sort of the vision and being part of this vision of marrying science and technology, that's when sort of the passion really developed. And, you know, looking at solutions for things that are very commonly sort of expected and not really changed in the science industry and then using technology to make it more efficient, use different processes, just make it easier to use. That's been the most exciting part of the journey. And to hear a lot of companies wouldn't exist if you didn't back them. So what brought... That's what I like to think. (laughs) (laughs) What attracted you to the tech space? So... When I first started in cannabis, I was working much more on the operational side, working with cultivators um, and, and working on this brand. And at the time that we were building this brand, there were no resources to actually build a brand, to track a brand. And what I started realizing, I mean, if I wanted information about what we sold in a dispensary, any dispensary in a week, I would have to call the dispensary, like hopefully send them a spreadsheet that they would fill out as I told them to, which they never did. (laughs) You know, maybe you would get a text message info back. There was no way to consolidate information. And I I am a very data-driven person. Uh, I'm a business background, but kind of 
what you guys have been talking about is like, I'm a problem solver. And so how do you solve problems without information? And it was all types of information and regulation was all over the place. I mean, now I'm kind of like, oh, the industry is so far past where it used to be, you know, because <laughs> there, there are actual rules, but they're still not great. Um, <laughs> but really understanding the impact that technology would have on just running the business that I was on a day-to-day basis. I mean, even tracking employees with getting them paid. All of those types of things were issues in the space and they had to be created. And there was no repository to go to. There was no demographic information about customers. You know, no dispensaries have been around, especially on the West Coast for decades, but they don't track information or they didn't track information and there wasn't like a point of sale system. So realizing all these different gaps in the market and that you couldn't take things from other industries and just put them in cannabis. You could try. Most of them wouldn't work with businesses in cannabis because of the federal illegality. And so you would try to take some things and try to patch them up to work and you'd end up having more of a headache at the end of the day trying to understand what you put together than if you would have just built it from the ground up. And so coming out of that, I decided to move more into the technology space and investing in that because I understood as a, as a business uh, operator the impact that that would have. And I thought that that was really impactful to look at it at both, as both lenses. Because oftentimes you get investors who just know about investing mm-hmm. and not really operating in the actual impact a business can have. And why cannabis? Um, I'll go first. <laughs> I I think this is part of, you know, I just echoing some of your conversation with uh, Karen as well. It's really interesting to see. I think one of the things that um, I think would be really important for people to know is to never limit yourself and never say no to opportunity when it comes your way. I never thought that, you know, when I'm, as I went through science and R&D, working for a big pharma company, you know, being in charge of teams, I never thought I would end up in the cannabis industry. Um, I met the the co-founders and you know they sort of laid out this plan of you know a lab testing and ensuring that there's safe healthy products in the marketplace and I was very intrigued because I went back and looked at the methods and you know as Tahira mentioned there isn't anything this is we're, we're kind of starting from ground zero it's you know wild west you can't really take existing things in other industries like food and pharma and bring it and translate it into cannabis you're kind of starting from ground zero and being sort of at the forefront of cutting edge science but then also the technology and trying to get in some of these solutions that we envisioned like you know process management and automation that was really really exciting to me so the cannabis product itself obviously I knew that there was going to be a huge potential for right this is you know one of the good things with cannabis I especially you know when I compare it to something in technology it's an actual product right a lot of times for tech startups it's a lot of it is conceptual and you have to raise money and probably spend a lot before you hope someone buys you out with cannabis you actually have a real product and it's a real product that you can sell so sometimes even the worst companies actually are making some money somehow <laughs> so it's uh, but it's an exciting time to be part of the industry I mean things are moving so fast I mean I've been here we're celebrating our our third anniversary tomorrow, actually. And, you know, Congratulations. Tahir, yeah, thank you. And uh, Tahir has been here for five years. We probably feel like old hands right now. I do. <laughs> Very old. And what, what attracted you to the cannabis world? So mine is much more personal. Um, I started looking at cannabis in 2013. Uh, I was in business school at the time, my second year of business school, and my grandfather was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And that was... For me, the first time anybody in my life so close to me was suffering from cancer. And for any of you who've ever had somebody in your life, I mean, it's a brutal 
it's brutal to watch. Um, you know, it's also, it was really difficult to, to see my mother, who was his primary caretaker, it was her father, just what she went through. And like your desperation to try to make somebody feel more comfortable or sleep or have an appetite. Um, and so it was actually my mom, which is, is kind of shocking. So just a side note, like my parents are Pakistani Muslims who live in small town Ohio, who've never <laughs> touched any of this stuff in their life. You know, they're, they're just very by the book people. So when I get a text message from my mother one day to me and my younger sister asking if I knew where to get marijuana, <laughs> I, was, I was suspicious. And my little sister immediately called me and she was like, do you think this is a test? <laughs> who really sent that yeah, text? And I, I was like, well... I think we're a little too old for this. And so the, the conversation with my mother was also fascinating because she was, I mean, she was just looking for everything, you know, anything that could potentially work. Chemo was very difficult. Um, and she came across cannabis. And this was at a time when there wasn't a lot of information. You couldn't, you Googled it and you could not find that much information. So I was like, how did you find this mother? But also th- what struck me was that I knew, I knew where to get illegal cannabis in my hometown in Ohio. But I was like, mom... I'm not having this person show up at your home. <laughs> I'm also, what struck me was that, you know, my grandfather had stage four lung cancer. He couldn't smoke it. All I knew how to get was flour. Nothing else existed. So then I started looking into it and, and just learning all the things that were going on in California and the whole medicinal program that really started with the AIDS epidemic, you know, decades ago. And it was all anecdotal, but there were real stories out there. And, and we weren't able to find anything and use anything for my grandfather before he passed away, but it really it fascinated me. I started looking at why is this illegal in the first place? And though the whole so- social justice side of it and the war on drugs and the 100 years of just racism and politics that essentially made cannabis and hemp illegal just fascinated me. I didn't know there was a profession in it. And a role with privateer holdings kind of fell in my lap just very fortuitously um, coming out of business school. And so I was like, this could be absolute career suicide, uh, but it still could be the most fascinating thing I ever do in my life. And, you know, it was kind of a joke with some of my business school professors. I was like, I might be unemployed in like three months. And they're like, absolutely. Who knows what will happen? I mean, this was still really early. but they're like, you're going to have the best stories to tell. And as somebody who came from finance before that, I'm like, I'm dying to have good stories to tell. Like, <laughs> I have always been the most boring person in the room. <laughs> so this is fascinating. I, I do have to say, because I had a very similar experience, you know, coming from such a traditional industry as the pharmaceutical industry, that was my concern. It's like, is this going to impact my career? And, you know, what am I going to do? And, you know, what if this doesn't work out? And I think what I've slowly sort of realized is that, all the skills that we had to pick up working in such uncharted territory is very translatable. You can work anywhere and you probably have a better skill set than someone who worked in a traditional company. Well, and I think also your ability, to, you just got to go with the flow. And I think what I've, I've seen in the industry and I've done a lot of recruiting for companies that are in our portfolio companies or companies that I've consulted with um, is that one of the biggest things that strikes people is that how much of a free-for-all it can be at times and how vague information can be in structures and policies and when you come out of large companies that are operating in a very specific way it's hard to train yourself the other way and so it's not for everybody and that's not a bad thing I mean there's a reason why companies have flourished because of structure and order and hierarchy Um, but it's not for everybody and so it's really interesting that you they're very tangible skill sets that transfer but it took a while to be able to tell that story I mean for years people just called me a drug dealer which was also hilarious because I was like 
I am not the person you would expect to be your drug dealer, but wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> I, I still get that about yeah. how do you test it? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's testing happening? Yeah, what does testing mean yeah. exactly? Speaking of testing, that's actually exactly what I wanted to lead into. You have a science background, your background's investment. Um, how, if somebody wanted to follow your tracks and end up where you are today, what's that very first step? Um, well, in my case, it's there. very technical. And, you know, I, I, I definitely think any kind of scientist, before you take on a leadership role, you do have to build those technical skill sets. It might not be very varied, but whatever that one thing that you are passionate about and that you really care about, you have to develop it. You have to have that technical expertise. I'm not really in the lab that much anymore, but if I had to, and if I had to have a very te technical conversation with a lot of our employees, I'm still able to. And if something's wrong with that instrument, I could get in there, roll up my sleeves, and get right back into it. And it's very important to maintain that. Um, and so I, I do think that little baseline of having, you know, you, whatever science or technology or math that you're interested, you, you absolutely need to have that and kind of keep that at the back of your mind. But I think having self-awareness of what are my strengths and weaknesses, what am I really good at, and not being afraid to hire people that are better than me and surround myself mm. with people that are better than me. I think that's been like the best thing moving up and trying to come here. Do you have uh, any um, blogs, resources, programming that's really accessible to start learning about science um, that come to mind for you? Well... In the cannabis industry, there's still a lot of woo. And so you have to be a little bit uh, careful and skeptical. So unfortunately for me, I still go back to traditional scientific resources. So if you see something that is by the World Health Organization, if you see something that's on PubMed, you know, things that are sort of traditional, respected scientific journals, I still would go back to the source material. And I do think that we do need to be a little careful in the cannabis industry because you know, just because we had the war on drugs and because we had such negative uh, commentary around it and you still have people who have that reefer madness kind of, um, you know, idea about cannabis, what our industry ended up doing is going very much in the opposite direction where, you know, it's a cure-all for everything. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle and it's effective for some people and maybe not as effective for other people. And to have that healthy skepticism is good. And so I would still go back to the scientific sources. When you see someone claim something and they link something, don't just believe the link because I've clicked onto some of those links and they don't go anywhere. <laughs> so look up the actual journals, look up the actual information and sometimes talk to your doctors. It's actually kind of fascinating to me that there's this underground culture of very educated medical doctors that are willing and able to speak about this. I mean, I think the internet in, in general don't trust the link. <laughs> I mean, I'm quoted in so many things. I'm like, don't believe me. You have no reason to believe me. <laughs> How, what path would people have to walk on um, to end up where you are today? Oh, I wish there was a, there was definitely not a straight path to get to where I am. But, but that's, I think, part of the beauty of it too, is being able to understand, I think going back to Shweta's point and understanding what are you good at? With a lot of self-awareness. I mean, I... I came from structural organizations, from like very large organizations and kept getting smaller. And I realized that I had an inclination for that. And I didn't love structure in this kind of formulaic way. I think I used to when I was younger. And then I was like, I'm bored all the time, you know, and have trouble with authority. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it, it, makes, you, it makes you rethink. Yeah, I did a lot of process uh, control. I was a consultant at Ernst Young early out of um, undergrad, and I did a lot of process redevelopment. And it's just, it's really about things that are broken and fixing them. And so I like this kind of problem-solution type structure. That's how I was a little bit wired. And even with, with Marley Natural, when 
I wasn't supposed to go into this company and then build a brand. I was supposed to be an investment associate, but then they needed someone to work on it. I would love to say that they were like, you are the star who is going to go figure all this out. But really, I was the only one. That They were like, you have got to do this. And I had to go build a brand. I'd never built a brand in my life before, let alone like felt like I had the skill set. But it's about doing research and just like getting all the information that you can and just moving forward with it. you know. And I think that if there's something that people are really passionate about, it's finding how can you translate your experience into that passion within the industry. Um, and uh, you touched on this in, in the last podcast. It's like you got to ask, right? You have to go in there and you have to ask. And the worst thing that can happen is somebody will say no to you and then you come back or you go to somebody else. And um, I think within cannabis, what's really interesting is that there's no industry and no skill set that isn't relevant. And it, it just it brings all of these industries and I think uh, technical skill sets, you know, uh, just everything together in a way that's really fascinating and that's why there's this constant evolution that's happening what's one huge challenge that you've successfully overcome and what did you learn from it and how did you overcome it so i think originally when i was working on this brand i mean i i had no idea what i was doing uh, nor did anybody else who i was working with so there was kind of beauty in that but at the same time uh what do you do when you you don't have any templates and when you don't have any information and you're the blind leading the blind, but you're like the head blind person. So you have to figure it out and, and create a structure. And there were a lot of things that I did wrong early on in that brand, brand building process that I always joke now that if I ever have to build a brand, I could get it done in six months and like a fraction of the cost and be the best thing out there. Um, so I think it was, it was small failures in, in that regard, but you know, even a really big failure where I like, just pick the wrong numbers. And it wasn't that I was blindly picking them, but it's like you, you have the best information that you think you have, which isn't really great information, but you just have to move forward. And um, I think what that taught me is that you have to keep making decisions all the time, but you also have to have in the back of your head, like, how do I pivot really quickly? And it's it's not something that I think you is inherent. You can't really learn it in a book. You have to do it by doing it. And by failing a couple of different times is the way that you learn how to do that. And how about, and how about you? So I, I have a, I'm a little lucky in the sense of coming from science. Science in itself is iterative. So you have to keep doing that cycle of, you know, you, you, you try something, see, implement it, oh, it doesn't work, go back to the drawing board. That cycle is sort of always happening. Um, for us, the biggest challenge was how do you take something that is so established as, you know, the lab testing industry? And in cannabis, it's not established. Obviously, we have challenges like regulations and things like that. But at its very core, diagnostic and testing industries are very similar, right? We take something, we take a product, we are analyzing a bunch of different things that are in it, and then we report it back to the client. How do we take something like that and make it a customer experience that they actually like? How do we translate it so that it's something that we can actually improve on? How do we break it down? And, you know, you touched on process development, process improvement, and it's such a boring term, but it's, like, so key to any good business. And for us, it was trying learning that, right? Like, all of us, our team initially, our executive team initially, we knew what needed to get done. We're like, okay, we need to have really consistent good data and we want to communicate that with the client. We want to make it look pretty. We knew that. But realizing that every little step of the way that connects that puzzle actually can end up becoming a bottleneck. And then how do we go into each of that and make that process flow super smooth? 
that's been the biggest challenge. One of the things that people told us very early on is you can't speed things up, you can't rush it. And you know, you probably know this from process management. You can make anything happen with the right processes. If you if you plan things and you structure it, you use technology and you use you know um, some of the automation and robotics that are available out there. And or maybe even design it if you want to, right? Customize it. You can actually figure out how to make that process, that step by step, actually go a lot smoother, a lot faster. And maybe it doesn't have to be step by step. Maybe there are things that can happen concurrently. Mm-hmm. And so, or very early on, a lot of people told us you can't deliver this in less than two weeks. Everyone delivers test results in two weeks. And so, for us, the biggest thing is no. We are going to make this happen with a guaranteed three to five day turnaround time. And there's still people that are very skeptical about how that happened. And we're not doing it by making people work super hard and rush through things. It's purely just by process management and using technology. Do you know if I had to give my, uh, myself advice for when I first became an entrepreneur, I'd be focused more on processes and relationships. Yes. Like follow-up. On yeah. follow-up on relationships yes. and creating really strong processes. And then last consistency mm-hmm. like being consistent with the process that it created Absolutely. yeah yeah i think with, oh, i was just going to say on the process side i mean uh i i often say too with businesses like you need three months to just develop your processes and then you start then you hit the gas and i think mm-hmm. you tr- yeah. if you're trying to do it along the way it's just chaos and, Complete and, chaos. and trying to get people to break bad habits once you've already started mm-hmm. them and with a team is even more difficult right Completely. so having them straight out the gate is really important how can people find out more about you online? Google me. Yeah. <laughs> tell, them, tell them where to find Google you. Google both of us. <laughs> there aren't that many to hear Ramatulas. <laughs> Fortunate for me. Uh, but can you spell I'm your on, last name for everybody? Yeah. Yeah, it's R E H M A T. U-L-L-A-H and my Instagram and my Twitter are Tahira Rem T-A-H-I-R-A R-E-H-M um, yeah, and then hyperventures.com, it's H-Y-P-U-R, ventures.com, um, LinkedIn, all the good things. Yeah. I'm out there. Yeah. How can people find you? Um, I don't have a lot of social media, but I'm very active on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn's definitely there. Our uh, website for our company is canalysislabs.com. Um, and yeah, if you Google, there's a lot of information. I like putting a lot of educational material out there. So there's probably some videos of me talking a little bit more about cannabis, maybe a little bit more of the science and uh, details about the science. So, And can you spell your name for everybody so they can yes. find you on LinkedIn? Yeah. So it's S-W-E-T-H-A. That's my first name. And last name is Call K-A-U-L. Amazing. And I'd like, as we're continuing the conversation, I'd like to welcome up um, anybody that has any questions. That would be super cool. And remember to be brave. (laughs) I know it's scary when you have questions. What is the next thing that you think is going to happen for the cannabis space and society? Like, where do you see things going? And I'm sure you get this all the time, but... It is a fast-moving industry. It is very fast, and there's so many different contexts for, okay, where do you think this is going? Um, Right now, on the investment side, I actually, and actually in the business side as well, uh, mergers and acquisitions and consolidation, the industry is getting to a point where you still have early startup companies, but we're actually getting to the point where we have growth stage companies, which they didn't exist. If you were a company that started, you know, five years ago, you're in that growth stage now, and that just didn't exist. And so we're going to the next phase, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard the news about capital markets and all these companies IPOing. I could not have predicted 18 months ago that this would have happened, but because of that introduction of capital markets and and just this influx of capital, uh, there's also this maturation that's coming within the industry in 
because it's been so fragmented. You know, it's state by state policies. It's federally illegal. Um, we've had these really fragmented businesses operating. I'm sure you can kind of speak to this when it comes to testing. You know, you're you're not even com- just confined to your state, but often just like license certain types of license companies. It's it's very convoluted. And so as the market continues to grow, we've been looking at ways that you can make them more efficient and more effective, not only for B2B, but looking at the consumer and the patient side. And often you know, businesses have been so heads down on their very specific thing that they're not looking at the other opportunities to collaborate and uh, partner. Uh, but even beyond that, on how do you grow to be a much more robust business that services that that end user. And so I think that's going to be a big push in the industry the next couple of years, um, as well as you know massive inv- advancement, I think, in research and actual data-driven information that we're presenting for patients and consumers. And we'll pause for one second and take a question. Hi, yeah, so um, I'm a tech startup founder and I run an international pitch competition and I'm also a cannabis influencer. And what is the name of the international pitch competition? (laughs) Hatch Pitch. We've been here at South by Southwest since 2012 and I'm the marketing and digital marketing manager, but I'm also a computer scientist. So I find that as an influencer, I have this really unique brand following me with a bunch of women in tech who love cannabis, um, but nowadays we don't really see, you know, many ventures that are out here marketing or, like, here for us. Um, how do you guys plan on um, nurturing these kinds of brands or images in regards to women in tech? As yourself, I mean, it's really hard in the cannabis industry in, in general. We have to prove as women that, you know, we're 10 times more professional than the rest. So, and I'm kind of interested in that and you yeah. take on that. Yeah, yeah so I think... Um, a big Thank thing you, I, by the way, for asking a question. <laughs> yes. From the investment side, I'm constantly looking for women who are in leadership roles or, and often, I mean, that's difficult to find, which I hate to say that, and hopefully that won't always be um, the way it is, but that's unfortunately the reality of the situation that we're in. But uh, groups that are led by women, founded by women, uh, a variety of minorities, and also people who are focused and care, like genuinely care about introducing women, more women into leadership on boards, um, you know, bringing people from other in- industries into the into their organizations, especially I think like board level, we see, I mean, this is rampant amongst all industries, but it's happening in cannabis as well. There are very few women who serve on boards and, um, you know, encouraging that. I help a lot with directing talent to companies that are in our portfolio companies, and that's always a huge thing that I try to push um, whether they want to hear it from me or not. But also, I work with a lot of organizations, and so helping them structure their organizations in a way that they make sure that they're introducing that part of it. So it's coming. There there are a lot of people who are starting to look at that more actively, and um, hopefully, you know, we keep pushing on that. It's just, it's so interesting that we, there was there were women in leadership in in cannabis early, and there used to be all these headlines, and that's deteriorated pretty quickly, quite frankly, because of the introduction of mainstream capital markets that are starting to mimic all the other industries. And so now there's there's a fight to get that back. I can promise you that. that this is true. There was a lot more women in leadership, but I think having women in leadership position does encourage it because in our lab, all the lab directors, we have labs in Oregon too, but 
all our lab directors are women and it was totally not intentional. The majority of my staff is women and it's because I'm not necessarily looking. I'm just looking for the best person for the job. And, um, you know, to me, it's not as important to like just, I have to only get women. It's whoever's the best person for the job. And if, but I think it's sometimes the problem is just getting that first meeting, getting in front of people. And um, I think it is coming. I think, you know, there's definitely an awareness about it that I've seen in this industry that I have not seen in other industries. People talk about it and there there's definitely a push to try and encourage that for sure. So all I can say for now though is keep going, you know. I mean, you're we need more people like you doing the stuff that you do and so people see that, right? It has to just be normalized. I don't ever want people to be like, "Oh, wow, you're a woman in science and tech." Like it should just be who happens to be a woman and does this great job doing whatever it is that she does. Does that help? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. We're just women who happen to be in science and tech. So the next six months, and also I'd love to hear the best piece of advice that you both have gotten to persevere. Yeah, so the next six months, I mean, I definitely agree with Tahira. There's going to be a lot of consolidation. Um, We are starting to see some stabilization with regs. I think in the next few years, we're going to see some very unexpected states come up with legalization. I think there are going to be some very conservative states that will have some kind of uh, cannabis and hemp regulations on their books. You know, my vote's on Kentucky, I think. And uh, so we're going to see some very surprising people join the force. We're still a little bit away from federal legalization, but I do think we're going to start seeing some normalization, which the industry does need. We do need to get some sort of, just some formal processes in place, just a little bit more structure and ways of doing things. You know, you have to understand in this industry more than others, it is. it was harder to bring technology into it because people were actively trying to avoid it for so long. They were actively trying not to be very forward on technologies of any kind, and now you're kind of going in the opposite direction. So we're definitely going to see that. But I think we're also going to see some really interesting innovation as far as it comes to banking opportunities, you know, and trying to use the capital because cash is still a huge issue in the industry. And the best piece of advice that you've got in that helps you persevere day after day? That's uh, <laughs> I, I, I've always actively tried to seek out um, people who are better than me. So there's so much advice that you can kind of just by osmosis gather from everyone. Um, the first thing definitely is to not be afraid to speak up for sure. That's definitely going to be one. I know a lot of people have said this before, but just I think as a lot of people and specifically women, we censor ourselves and we stop ourselves before we even do things because we think that we need to meet certain criteria and ideas have to be perfectly formed. So I think it's not being afraid to speak up, but also not being afraid of failure, right? Like it's okay. It's okay to not get it right the very first time and it's okay to go back and go through that whole process over and over again. So I think, yeah, those, those two things for sure. And your advice? So for me, uh, and this was a little bit like self-advice, but also people told me this early and I didn't really take it to heart until um, I I really understood it going through some failures is that ask for help early and often. Um, Taking on the burden of things yourself because we all hold ourselves to this ridiculous standard. The only person, well, you're hurting yourself, but you're also hurting the people around you, the people who you're leading and your team. Um, So that is really critical. And the other one, which might be a little bit controversial, but my friend said this to me in in a conversation and she was like, think like a white man. 
You know, <laughs> what What would they do? You know, when I'm I constantly doubting what, myself. How do you even start? Yeah, like, no, I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, if they said, you know, because I think I, I see other people do things and you're like, yeah, I should do that, but I wouldn't, you know, because I, I have all these different hangups. Um, and so she said that to me one day and I just got such a kick out of it. And sometimes I'm like, you're right. I should think like a white man. And what, what would the answer be? Sometimes it's not different, but sometimes it is. And I think that that's just, it's kind of being devil's advocate in your own head is, is very interesting. Thank you so much. I want to give a huge thank you to South by for celebrating women in tech. This has just been extraordinary. I created the women in tech podcast in 2015. If you've been on the women in tech podcast, stand up for a second. Right? Oh, that's great. <laughs> My goal is that this whole room is standing. I produce um, three episodes a week, and I, do, and I used to produce five a week. I do as many as I could possibly can to celebrate and support as many women in tech to deliver the message. If she can do it, so can I. It's so important that we celebrate one another's stories so that we see examples of what I call actionable empowerment to see that it is possible for us to achieve our dreams, to understand what resources we've access, access what people we've connected with in order to get to where we are today. So that I hope that I could celebrate you on this show one day. I genuinely mean that. I've been to over 50 countries from Bosnia to Lithuania and just all over the US, just finding women in tech. And I'm really proud that the Women in Tech podcast is usually the first media that um, that women have been featured on around the world, which surprises me, but I'm proud to be that introductory to just kill it and get all the rest. <laughs> so thank you so much for being a part of the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social, on Twitter, on Instagram, and Facebook at Women in Tech Show. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode! <laughs> this is Tahira Ramagula, Managing Director of Hyper Ventures and President of T3 Ventures based in New York City, investing in and advising cannabis companies across the ecosystem. This is Shweta Kohl, the Chief Scientific Officer of Canalysis. We are a licensed cannabis testing lab that seeks to empower customers through technology integration, big data analytics, and access to information. We're licensed by the state of California, and our headquarters is in Santa Ana, California. And you're listening to Women in Tech. Women in Tech is an independently funded project funded by you, the community. So the way that you could support us is by going to patreon.com slash women in tech and making a small contribution. Every little bit counts. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash women in tech. Thank you so much for believing in our vision. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.